Latter-day Saints would say this is from their website, uh, revere the Bible. They study it and believe it to be the word of God. However, they do not believe the Bible is, as it is currently available is without error. So they would say, yeah, we believe and we study the Bible, but they don't believe that it's without error, which um, all major deviations from Orthodox Christianity and Orthodox beliefs starts with the very fact of questioning the validity and the structure and the integrity of the Bibles. Hey, well, welcome to Office Theology Podcast in Conversations. We are diving into the hot take today of Mormonism versus Christianity. This is part one of at least two, maybe more. And today I have with me Mrs. Office Theology. Hi, I am not the theologian of the family. So I am here to remind him to explain it to me like I'm five. That's right. Michael Scott, Scott all day. Yes. But on a more serious note, you guys don't know my husband. And I think a lot of you follow the Instagram as mostly comedic relief, but he cares and he put a lot of thought and time and effort into this podcast. So I hope it blesses you guys. Hmm. Amen. Well, thank you for saying that. Amen. Happy you're here. Okay, so a few disclaimers before we get cruising. The first is I'm not on like any sort of witch hunt to demolish and shame people. Um, honestly, it's probably the opposite. Um, my goal is to show and expose some false doctrine that leads to false hope. Um, I'm fully aware that there are people who are LDS that hold these topics and doctrines very close to their core. Um, and I'm not, I'm coming to this as much with as much grace and humility as possible. I'm not coming to beat you over the head with you're wrong, I'm right, that's not it. I understand that there's a deep, deep, deep rooted uh, belief system in life that you've built off of these things. And so I think to clarify that, um, and then lastly, all of the quotes um, that I have about LDS are from churchofjesuschrist.org and other LDS-backed websites. So like BYU has forms, different things like that. Um, I have no interest in taking these quotes out of the context they were written just to prove my point, as honestly, I don't think that is needed. Yeah. Okay, so we're going to start with your story. Okay. You grew up in a Mormon and LDS family. So tell us a little bit yep. about that. Yeah. So I was raised LDS as long as I can remember into my childhood. Um, did all the things. I was in Boy Scouts. I was baptized at eight. Family was sealed in the temple. So that way we could go back to our own spirit children state. So that's going to be dope. Um, sorry, a little bit of sarcasm there. Went around collecting the temple tithe. My parents wore their temple garments, all that different stuff. Um, probably one of my favorite memories of growing up Mormon is um, they put on this dance for young men and young women. Basically, it's like the youth ministry of the LDS church. And it's Mormon Hoko. <laughs> yeah. Homecoming. Hoko for maybe those international people is homecoming. It's a big <laughs> dance at high schools. Um, and they came home from the dance and it was just full-blown drama. They were fighting. Yeah, they were fighting. I had two older sisters. The oldest one danced with my other sister's ex-boyfriend at mm. the Mormon dance. Mm. Um, party foul. And so they were yelling at each other. 
My sister called my older sister the B word. My mom got mad. And then I was just sitting there laughing at it. And so it's <laughs> all you need to know about my childhood being raised LDS. It's really that has nothing to do with the church. <laughs> but this is just a fun tidbit. Oh, yeah. It was just it was a hilarious moment that is forever ingrained in my mind. Okay. So there's a lot of information. This is just part one, like you said. Mm-hmm. Today, what are the basics that we're going to be covering? Yeah, I think this is important to get up front. Um, the origins of LDS. We're going to talk about all the LDS texts. So there's the Book of Mormon, Pearl of Great Price, Doctrine and Covenants. And so we're going to make sure to break down all of those things. We're going to talk about how they have a modern day prophet and how their leadership structure works, mm-hmm. um, as well as the open canon of the Latter day Saints, which we'll get into about. Um, all the extra biblical texts they have in addition to their King James version of the Bible. Okay. <clears throat> yeah. So the first one that, that we mentioned there, um, the origin of the Latter-day Saints. So if you don't know, um, or if your only context for Mormonism is from South Park, let me give you um, <laughs> an, an explanation and an understanding of kind of where they came from. So Joseph Smith was born in Vermont in the early 1800s. I moved to New York. Um, just to clarify, Joseph Smith is the founder of Mormonism. Correct. Okay. Yep. Just get that out of the way. There we go. Um, he was exposed to different revival movements, movements around that time. Uh, most of his family was actually Presbyterians. However, he leaned more Methodist. Um, and, but in, in the recollection of all of this, he said he was bothered by the many vari- variations of Christianity. And at one revival meeting, a preacher quoted out of James asking if any of you lack wisdom, just ask God. And so he took that to heart. So he was 14 years old at the time, went home, uh, reflected on these words and went into the woods to pray. And so this is where, now according to Mormon tradition, this is where Joseph Smith had his very, very first vision. In his first vision, Joseph Smith claimed to see two personages. One, God the Father pointed to the other ones, and this is my beloved son, hear him. Him being the Mormon Jesus. So then Joseph Smith uh, inquired um, to these people about what what sect he should join of Christianity. And they answered none of them for they were all wrong. So he saw a vision with two people, Mm -hmm. one being quote, God, the father and the other being Jesus, his son. Mm -hmm. And he asked them which Orthodox Christian denomination to join. And they said none of them just to clarify because they were all wrong. And so then a few years later, Mormons believe that Joseph Smith received another vision. And in this vision, the angel Moroni told Joseph Smith where the golden plates were buried. But what's interesting is I feel like we need to have a quick uh, scripture break here. Galatians, Paul is warning the Galatian church about this. He says, but even if we, he's talking about um, the apostles and disciples at that time, or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. Yeah. So he's warning against false prophets and false gospels. Mm-hmm. And it's it's interesting that from our, our perspective, mm-hmm. that's exactly what happened to Joseph Smith. Yeah. Another angel or an angel came and preached to Joseph Smith another gospel, as but they would say because the Book of Mormon says another testament of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. So even the word is the words are 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 done very carefully, and I would say it's crafty. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's interesting because the very 
thing that Paul is warning us against is the foundation of what Mormonism is built on. Yeah. The Bible is very clear that Satan is the great deceiver and that he often disguises himself as light. And so for me, it's just a huge red flag just right there that this false prophet not only gave a false gospel to Joseph Smith, but he also disguised himself as a literal angel, just like mm -hmm. the Bible warns us about. Mm -hmm. And I, for me, that's just, I, that's just a huge red flag. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's, and I think to, to maybe give, I don't know if grace is the right word, but perspective is like, we're looking at from the outside looking yeah. in. Yeah. And sometimes when you're in the middle of this and if you're, if you're LDS and listen to this, you might have had a really hard time with what was actually just said. And I get that. I get why it's so hard to hear that. But I think it's good to maybe step back for a moment and listen to the scriptures. Um, when I say scriptures, I mean the Bible. And so we'll even dive in that a little more. So back to the story. Um, the plates were revealed to Joseph Smith around 1827. And he was also provided with two reading crystals so he could translate the plates, which he claimed were written in hieroglyphics. Um, in 1830, he not only published the Book of Mormon, um, we'll break that down in a little bit, um, but he also founded, it was called the Church of Christ, but then he changed it to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So eventually he kind of moved around, but where he landed was in Illinois, where he tried to live out this utopian society, um, instituted polygamy, um, and said Joseph Smith has about 40 wives. Um, I'm married to one. I love you, and I don't want more than one. I couldn't imagine being married to 40 women. Um, <laughs> sounds like a daunting task. Um, so this is from um, the LDS website on just, we kind of touched on polygamy, but I want to talk about plural marriage from their website. So it says, Latter-day Saints believe that monogamy, um, the marriage of one man and one woman, is the Lord's standing law of marriage. But this is where it gets weird. In biblical times, the Lord commanded some of his people to practice plural marriage, the marriage of one man and more than one woman. Some early members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints also received and obeyed this commandment given through God's prophets. And this just has like a thousand red flags and warning signs and things that pop up when I hear this because um, we are studying through Genesis and there's so many moments of polygamy and it's outside of God's design in the original creation with Adam and Eve. And in the midst of this polygamy, there's sheer chaos. Just look at um, um, Jacob and his Leah, Rachel, and then his two concubines. And then the 12 sons of the 12 tribes of Israel. There's just so much chaos and tension and brokenness that came out of plural marriage. So it's very interesting that they say, well, now, and it's one man, one woman, but God can change that command depending on who it's for. And to me, that just um, feels like it lacks a little bit of integrity. Yeah, I'm unsure where they got that. Um, in biblical times, the Lord commanded some of his people to practice plural marriage because we see plural marriage, but then when you read scripture, everything that we read is not descriptive or prescriptive of how we need to live now. It's a lot of it is cautionary tales. So, mm -hmm. all right. Um, so moving on, uh, Smith and his brothers were, uh, his brother were arrested in 1844 and later a mob stormed in and killed both of them. Um, and Mormon, uh, Mormons consider him a martyr. 
Um, after his death, there was a fracture in the LDS community. Some people separated and called themselves Josephites and began this, quote, reorganized church uh, in Missouri. But most people followed Brigham Young, which is a, is a big name. You probably know because they have a college in Utah. He was the first president and prophet in 1847. And that's when they migrated to Utah to build Salt Lake City. So one of the confusing things about Mormonism versus Christianity is they use often the same words, but they have different definitions. Mm-hmm. So let's let's dive into that a little bit. Absolutely. So um, what's so confusing about even this conversation, maybe so far if you're listening, is um, a lot of these things sound the same. If you have a conversation with a member of the LDS church, um, the weird part is you'll be using the same exact words. But unless you know better, it's easy to think, I think we're kind of saying the same thing. Um, I remember early on in my Christian faith, I was talking to um, some of my family members. I think you were there with me. Um, We were at a store and we were having a conversation kind of about faith. And then he started sharing certain things that felt a little off. But for the longest time, we were having a conversation that seemed like we were speaking the same language. Mm -hmm. But unknown to me at that time early in my faith was that, whoa, we actually have very, very different definitions. Um, Because after all, they'll use the same words like God, Jesus, atonement, grace, Savior, eternal life, spirit, scripture, heaven, and much, much more. But they define these much differently. And I just want to make sure we understand, we're going to dig into all of those words and what what do Mormons believe and what do Christians believe in part two. So we'll dig way deeper into that. Um. But yeah, so like I said, the words have very different meanings and how they got to the same word with the quote same meaning is different as well. Mm-hmm. So an example would be, um, I had someone on my account message me. It was a, an LDS person and they said, said, do you believe Jesus is God? And they said, yes. And I'm like, explain that to me. But the way that they say Jesus is God is the same way that we all can become gods through the Mormon teaching and the Mormon way of living. So when they say Jesus is God, they are not saying Jesus is the God. Mm-hmm. Like they God try, in the flesh, yeah, the yeah. triune God. They do not believe that. Okay, and we'll get into that more next episode. Next episode, yep. yeah. Um, so let's discuss the LDS texts. Mm-hmm. They have three texts. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yep. Um, but they do use quote, a version of the Bible. So do you want to explain that? Yeah, and they use uh, LDS, I mean, not LDS, they use King James Version specifically. Um, And they have a very interesting view of the Bible. Um, Latter-day Saints would say, this is from their website, uh, revere the Bible. They study it and believe it to be the Word of God. However, they do not believe the Bible, as it is currently available, is without error. So they would say, yeah, we believe and we study the Bible, but they don't believe that it's without error. Which um, all major deviations from Orthodox Christianity and Orthodox beliefs starts with the very fact of questioning the validity and the structure and the integrity of the Bible. So mm-hmm. I just want to say like that's, that's the foundation for, let's just call it what is heresy, yeah. moving away from, yeah. from, from God. Mm-hmm. So Joseph Smith made this comment uh, out of the teaching of the presence of the church. Uh, chapter 17, it says, I believe the Bible as it is read when it comes from the pen of the original writers. Okay, what does that mean? 
Um, so essentially what he's saying is, sure, I believe the Bible when it was originally um, written, but I do not believe that the translation that he had at that time, which was a King James, um, that it was it is no longer accurate to when the original writers wrote it. Okay, just a clarifying question. So would this kind of be similar to when some people say the Bible was relevant to that culture in that time, but now things have changed? So it's uh, not so relevant, or is this different? Uh, maybe a, a hint of that, but a little more different in the sense of he is questioning the entire accuracy of the scriptures, not even culturally, like just the accuracy overall. Okay. Like, does it correctly, um, has it been correctly translated uh, to where he got it? And he says no. Mm-hmm. He trusts the original translation, but not what he has. But this kind of goes into, in 1992, the first presidency, which, um, if you don't know, is kind of like the top leadership of the LDS church. Which we'll also yep. explain We'll later. get to that in a little bit. Yeah. Um, the statement, they made a statement on the King James Bible, and this is what they said. The most reliable way to measure the accuracy of any Bible passage is not by comparing different texts, but by, compar- by comparison with the Book of Mormon and modern day revelations. So this is where it gets weird for a second. Mormons believe portions of the Bible, as long as it is in agreement with the Book of Mormon, they believe that the Bible is only as ac- only accurate in the areas where it agrees with the Book of Mormon. Okay. So the measuring stick for the accuracy of the Bible is mm. if it aligns to their doctrinal beliefs, which are also constantly changing. Yeah, and I would say... Um, I don't know if constantly changing would be the right word, but can be changed at any moment. Okay. Um, as they would say, if they re- they received a modern revelation from God to the prophet over the LDS church, then it is subject to change. Mm-hmm. Um, but with that modern revelation, anything in the Bible that does not line up with that, they're going to take the modern revelation of the Book of Mormon over what the Bible says. Right. And so this kind of creates... Uh, attention point. So if you've ever talked with a Mormon and you're trying to help them understand the Christian faith and how it's true and trying to help them understand the Orthodox Christian Jesus mm-hmm. is the true Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, if you found yourself trying to witness to them or have a conversation with them and you're sharing scriptures from the Bible to help connect the dots with them, at some level, uh, it doesn't matter Yeah, because the Bible is weighed against their extra biblical texts. Yeah. If it doesn't align, they chalk it up to it's not infallible, it's not without error, like their extra biblical texts, which to me is like, oh, so so we'll get to this later, but how do you witness to Mormons? How do you build a relationship with them? How yeah. do you help them connect the dots? Yeah, that's a hard tension, but also to play advocate a little bit for them. I understand the difficulty there because I even think about when I was not a Christian, (laughs) I didn't care about the values and the commandments of the Bible Mm -hmm. because I just didn't have a faith in Christ. I didn't Mm -hmm. have value in that. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you hit it. It's hard. It's hard to expect them to have value on the Bible when they're not believing the same, Mm -hmm. same thing as me really. Yeah. And I think you hit the nail on the head with that is Value is the thing. They value the extra biblical text, Book of Mormon, Pearl of Great Price, Doctrine and Governments over the Bible. Yeah. So like, yeah, this is good, but it's more of a supplement to the infallible teachings and scriptures of Joseph Smith opposed to um, that being built on the Bible. Okay. So talking about 
the extra biblical texts, um, like the Book of Mormon. Mm-hmm. Can you can you explain those three um, three books that you've been talking about? Yeah. So the first one, uh, the most famous one, is Book of Mormon. Uh, maybe you don't know they have multiple books, but this is like the main one. Um, it is a supposed record of ancient groups in the Americas and begins with a family moving from Jerusalem shortly before the destruction of 70 AD of the temple and all of Jerusalem to the quote new world, which is the Americas. The peak of this record is the visit of the resurrected Jesus Christ to the Americas. However, the records inscribed on the golden plates were lost shortly after this in the fourth century. Moroni, the one who buried the plates is said to have returned in the early 19th century as an angel to Joseph Smith to lead him to the plates that he buried in the fourth century. Smith then translated these into English as the Book of Mormon. However, the lack of evidence about these golden plates at the time the Book of Mormon was written led to critics calling it nothing more than fanciful fabrication. And still, no one has seen there's not good evidence for um, these plates that he translated from. As to where to mirror with the Bible, how many manuscripts and transcripts that we do have, which we'll get to that in the next episode. Yeah, so in the Book of Mormon... In Joseph Smith Revelations, they have concluded this, that the LDS church is the one true church. It is the church restored. It is the only true one. And so if you talk to uh, people of LDS, they'll refer to um, LDS as one true church and call um, Christianity um, the church, like kind of like a spinoff. They're not the one true church, but they are a church. Mm-hmm. Um as shown by the acceptance of extra-biblical work, which we'll get into next, Mormons maintain a canon open to further revelation from God. Okay. Um, so don't the Mormons have modern-day prophets? Yeah. That's how they get their quote-unquote new revelation from God? Mm-hmm. What does that mean and how does that work? Yeah, so the prophet... Um, is part of the first presidency, which is the highest level of leadership in the Mormon church. Um, so they are said, this is from their website, the, uh, to continue to receive further revelation from God. They have a prophet who hears from God specifically. Joseph Smith was the start of this, and so there are successors after him. Um, Mormons believe that the death of the apostles led to the death of the apostolic succession, uh, meaning that God speaking and the church moving and growing has died with the apostles and hasn't been uh, picked up since Joseph Smith. And just to be really clear, if people don't know who the apostles are, who are they? They're the disciples. So like Peter, John, yep. James. James, okay, those just people. Yep. clarifying. Yep. And so uh, they believe that there was no true church on the earth for 1,700 years until Joseph Smith was restored with apostolic governance by God, mm-hmm. which how he got that, we'll quote it a little bit later. Um, it's, it's pretty wild. Um, but yeah, so the LDS church is the only church headed by a prophet. So therefore, um, as we'd say, like the common Christian authorities in Sola Scripture, like the idea that Scripture is the guidance that we need and the only book that we need to help us come to a saving grace in Jesus Christ. Um, is replaced by a single charismatic authority, meaning the prophet is the head of um, the LDS church. But I will say, um, it's not like one guy running around by himself. They have a really intense leadership structure. I will, I'm not going to lie and be like, it's 
they have a really good structure. Like they have a lot of things put in place. Um, yeah, so then kind of going back to the extra biblical text, uh, one of them, another one is the Doctrine and Covenants. This is a compilation of revelations given to the priesthood, namely those uh, given to Joseph Smith. So this is from their website. The Doctrine and Covenants is a collection of divine revelations and inspired declarations given for the establishment and regulation of the kingdom of God on the earth in the last days. That was a lot. But most of these revelations um, in this compilation were received through Joseph Smith, the first prophet and president of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the LDS. Others were issued through some of his successors in the presidency. So continued from their website, this is what it says. Um, the Doctrine and Covenants uh, are unique because it's not a translation of an ancient document, but of modern origin and was given of God through his chosen prophets for the restoration of his holy work and the establishment of the kingdom of God on the earth in these days. And so these revelations, they say, are trustworthy because um, it's not dependent on proper translation from early foreign languages, but it's modern English languages. So they're saying it's actually more reliable because we haven't had any discrepancies in translation. I want to read this revelation out of Doctrine and Covenants chapter 13. It says, an extract from Joseph Smith's history, recounting the ordination of the prophet in Aldrich Cowdery, who this person is uh, one of the formative leaders in the LDS movement with Joseph Smith. So he was with him in those early days. That's who Oliver Cowdery is. Yes. Uh, to the Arianic priesthood near Harmony, Pennsylvania, May 15th, 1829. The ordination was done by the hands of an angel who announced himself as John, the same that is called John the Baptist in the New Testament. The angel explained that he was acting under the direction of Peter, James, and John, the ancient apostles, who held the keys of the higher priesthood, which was called the priesthood of Melchizedek. The promise was given to Joseph and Oliver that in due time this higher priesthood would be conferred upon them. Okay, that's wild. Yeah, so let's just cliff note this thing real quick. They believe that John the Baptist showed up to them as an angel mm -hmm. to put this priesthood over them, but he was sent on behalf of Peter, James, and John, and he held the keys to the priesthood of Melchizedek, which is an Old Testament blessing. Um, it's just like, Outside looking in, it feels wild. Yeah. I would be asking myself, why are they coming on the authority of Peter, James, and John and not just the authority of God? Mm -hmm. I guess that... And what was Moroni up to that day? Something else, I guess. Probably leading the white salamander around. <laughs> Sorry, you <laughs> that out. Oh, no, we'll leave that in. If you don't know what that is, go have fun on Google. Okay. Um, I do think Joseph Smith is interesting. There's a lot more about him and the early days of Mormonism. That's, I will say, reads like an interesting novel. Mm -hmm. If you want to look into that, or maybe we can do a part three just on him. But yeah, 
that is how he got his apostolic yep. authority. That's right. Is that am I is that the term right? Yeah, thanks, John okay. the Baptist. Yep. Yeah, so the last one we're gonna address is uh, Pearl of Great Price. The last Mormon text that yes. we're addressing, just to clarify. Um, this contains a variety of material, and the, with the most notable inclusions being the first vision. We talked about that earlier when he was in the woods, saw the two personages, um, which described in detail the miracle that is the foundation of Mormonism and the article of faith, the articles of faith, which is the outline of the beliefs of Mormonism. There's 13 of them. Um, talk about that in a little bit. But this is where it, what is interesting. You'll see some very similar language. Uh, they have inclusion statements such as, we believe the Bible to be the word of God as far as it is translated correctly. We also believe the Book of Mormon to be the word of God. And for me, this, I mean, my alarm has been going off the whole time reading this stuff, but every once in a while it spikes up to level 10, and this is another one, because this is glaringly blasphemous. It's a statement that puts the importance and ultimate authority on Joseph Smith's revelation in the Book of Mormon and his interpretation on how valid the Bible actually is. Yeah. So it's, it's shocking to me because it, he has made himself the only way and the, and the, the only route for all of this to be explained and understood correctly. Mm-hmm. He's the ultimate authority, not Jesus. Yeah. And so where this really hits me hard is that I'm like all these additional texts imposed on by Joseph Smith and his self-imposed authority is creating a weight and it's creating a burden and a yoke that is too heavy for anyone to carry and producing false hope and false weight. And I think that they might argue that they have the same gospel, mm-hmm. which is maybe we'll yeah, get into that later. This next next episode. Um, but just to recap what we've been talking talking about was the three Mormon text so book of mormon Mm -hmm. record of ancient groups in the americas and then um the doctrine and covenants Mm -hmm. which is a compilation of revelations given to the priesthood or the prophet prophet, mostly joseph smith and then the last one which we just talked about is the pearl of great price and it contains a variety of material um including the first vision the articles of faith and Mm -hmm. like the outlines of yep. the beliefs of Mormonism. Mm-hmm. Just to recap all that, because yep. I feel like it was a lot. Yep. Yeah, so lastly, I want to hop into um, the idea of open canon in, in Mormonism, which is proven by the extra-biblical scriptures. What is an open canon, for those who don't know what that is? It means that it can be added to, taken away from, it can be changed. Okay. Um, Latter-day Saints believe in an open scriptural canon this means that there are other books uh, of Scripture besides the Bible, like we just talked about for the last 20 or so minutes, um, and that God continues to reveal His Word through His living prophets. Elder Jeffrey Holland of the Church's Quorum of the Twelve Apostles spoke at the LDS World General Conference, and this is what he is uh, recorded saying. He addressed the issue of additional Scriptures used by the Latter-day Saints, He described this topic as the other major doctrine that characterizes our faith. Namely, the bold assertion that God continues to speak his words and reveal his truth 
revelations in which mandate an open canon scripture. So basically saying God continues to speak. And as he continues to speak, this mandates us to keep things open because they, they're saying they don't want to close the canon and miss out on the revelations of God and for, his, for the LDS church. Um, this is a continued quote by him. Virtually every prophet of the Old Testament and New Testament has added scripture uh, to that received by his predecessors. In the Old Testament, the words of Moses were sufficient, as some could have mistakenly thought them to be. Then why the subsequent prophecies of Isaiah or Jeremiah who follows him? To say nothing of Ezekiel, Daniel, and of Joel, Amos, and all of the rest. If one revelation to one prophet in one moment of time is sufficient for all time, what justifies these many others? What justifies them was made clear by Jehovah himself when he said to Moses, now I want to pause here for a moment. He's about to quote the pearl of great price, not the Bible. This is what Moses 1.4 says in the pearl of great price is, my works are without end and my words never cease. He was using this to help kind of draw like there's a bunch of different prophets that continue to speak one after another. So he's trying to make the case of... Um, that if they did it, then it's con it's going to continue to do so. Mm -hmm. But his evidence is based off of a, the book of Moses, which is the Pearl of Great Price, which is additional thing written by Joseph Smith. Right. So it's like, sure, you can make that argument if you want, but you're basing it off of your doctrine that is contrary to what Scripture teaches. Right. Yeah. Um, and lastly, he also said this, he being Elder Jeffrey Holland, uh, the scriptures are not the ultimate source of knowledge for the Latter-day Saints. They are manifestations of the ultimate source. The ultimate source of knowledge and authority for the Latter-day Saints is the living God. The communication of those gifts come from God as living, vibrant, divine revelation. What does divine revelation mean to them? Mm -hmm. and it's interesting because as you read that quote, I mean, Jesus did rise again. He is a living God. We have mm -hmm. the spirit of God, you know, who dwells within us and among us. So it is confusing. confusing. It's yeah. confusing. Um, what does, so just to read that last sentence again, it says the communication of those gifts comes from God as living, vibrant, divine revelation. So what does divine revelation mean? Yeah, they would call it divine revelation in modern times. So Latter-day Saints believe, according to Articles of Faith 1-9, this is what it reads, all that God has revealed, all that he does now reveal, and that he will yet reveal many great important things. What you reference Articles of Faith 1-9, what is the Articles of Faith? Yeah, so the 13 Articles of Faith is written by Joseph Smith and are the basic beliefs of the LDS Church. Uh, they're located um, in the volume of Scripture that they call the Pearl of Great Price. It's at the very end. It'd be interesting to go over all three of the 13 of those sometime, but... Yeah, we're going to make a whole... We, we could be here for weeks, so <laughs> we'll just get back to divine revelation. Sounds good. Uh, LDS generally, be generally believe... Uh, that divine guidance comes quietly taking the form of impressions, thoughts, and feelings carried by the Spirit of God. Yeah, that sounds familiar. Yeah. It, it sounds... Um... And if I, was a, if I was an LDS missionary, I would say, yeah, because yeah, it is the same thing. I would, I would sit here and argue, yeah, they are so similar. They, 
it's they're not different they're actually the same and therein lies the deception if i'm honest yeah but with orthodox christianity it's very clear that whatever the spirit of the lord speaks to us mm -hmm. is not going to veer from the word of god 100 percent. if it is going against the word of god then it should be rejected it's not it's not of god yeah 100 percent. and yes and amen girl i believe that yeah but the the interesting is it is similar language but the end goal is completely different though yeah. this is how the prophets of the lds church go through getting quote new revelations from god um, leaders and individuals in the church um, understand that making inspired decisions and exercising authority are sacred privileges and that the, quote, powers of heaven can be handled only by the principles of righteousness, according to Doctrine and Covenants 121.36. This is talking about how to handle these divine revelations. But in keeping with the past, um, this revelatory process continues. The LDS find agreement with Ralph Waldo Emerson who urged divinity students to teach that God is and not was, that he speaketh and not spake because this is fancy language because they use King James. Um, but Apostle Jeffrey R. Holland, we talked about him earlier at the, the conference. Um, he said this, we believe in a God who is engaged in our lives, who is not silent and not absent which that statement makes me like mad. Amen. Yeah, like <laughs> I'm saying amen to what I know and believe to be true yeah. about that statement. Yeah. But once again, this is why Mormonism and Christianity is so yeah. confusing. Yeah. is because we can see they say the same stuff but have drastically different mm -hmm. meanings. Yeah. When I hear that last sentence, you and I, we just amen it, right? Or any other Orthodox Christian would say yes and amen to those words that God speaks but the reality is when God speaks, as you said earlier, it's not going to be contrary to the yeah. word of God. Yeah. So, and that's some people's issues, even with like the, the Pentecostal AG movement. Like, well, God gave me a word and this is the word. But if that word is not found in scripture, like the spirit of God is not going to speak contrary right. to the word of right. God. And so that's where they rightfully get made fun of. Like they do. But I want to say here, like in Mormonism, it's really interesting because they are taking this and saying, no, God is speaking something new yeah. that is not yet recorded. Which we rebuke. That's not. Yeah. Which. Not correct. Yeah. 100%. And so this is a small truth piece I kind of want to land on. And um, it is general for sure because all the whole next episode is going to be nerd village on all the theology of breaking down mormonism versus christianity but this is what i want to say the issue with the lds texts is that they hold their quote modern revelations and their text over the bible therefore the bible is only useful to them as it is to prove mormonism right mm -hmm. for you and i when we talk about the bible the old and the new testament it is a unique revealed and inspired word of god and it is the sole authority for mm -hmm. faith and practice for Christians. Yeah. They would not say that about the Bible. Yeah. They would probably say that same statement about all their extra biblical texts. Mm -hmm. I think for me it's interesting. Um, one of the things that bothered Joseph Smith was the different denominations mm -hmm. in Christianity. And I don't think he's wrong with that though. Like... Yeah. Jesus even like prayed for unity over us, yeah. you know, like in the Bible, there's a prayer he prayed yeah. and he desired unity for us. And I think that 
something the Mormonism church does do well though is they are very unified and they have a lot of qualities that are attractive. They really value family. And biblical. Yeah, they they do have some biblical values that are just attractive to people. Mm -hmm. And I think they do that well. But um, that makes me sad that us Christians maybe are... We're known, not, not doing it as we're well. We're known more for dividing against one another. Yeah. And I think for all those Christians listening, like I challenge you to consider that in your own life. Like, yeah. are you pursuing unity amongst yeah. other Christians and those Christian values in your life? Are they attractive to those around you? Like, do you look different? Hmm. Um, yeah. Anyways, that's a major sidebar. But yeah. I just think it was really interesting that yeah. Joseph Smith noticed that and I think... I think he's onto something there because, yeah. but he went about Jesus, the way he, the way he went about it is totally wrong. <laughs> yeah, but Jesus did yeah. desire unity for his people. Yeah, he and does. So, yeah, and yeah. when someone says, "Hey, I'm Mormon," no one says, "What kind of Mormon?" Like they say, "Christian." Like, yeah. "I'm a Christian." Well, okay, what camp are you in yeah. to know if we can actually be yeah in a relationship? But like I said, um, my desire is for people listening that are LDS um, currently. Man, like the enemy is is crafty. Uh, I think the enemy can use um, media and different things like this to make him out to be look darker than he actually appears to people when he deceives them. Um, and I I do believe that enemy is very satisfied with Mormonism yeah. and how it rejects the Jesus that is able to save. Yeah. I'm not going to make a judgment call on people's salvation because that is not my place. Right. But what I can do is look to scripture and see when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's the Jesus that we need to go through. Yeah. Not the one that Mormonism uh, tries to sell us. And so, um, like I said, we're going to dive deep into all the theological difference on the next episode. But this essential... This episode was essential to laying the groundwork for the next one. But I want to finish with these words from Jesus. The Orthodox Christian Jesus. The Jesus who's fully man and fully God. Yeah. Yeah. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father will enter, uh, Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We perform many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me or depart from me for I never knew you. You who broke God's laws. It's Matthew 7. And I pray and I plead with you that you, are, if you are LDS and you've made it this far into the conversation, number one, bravo, I'm glad you're still here. But come to know and trust the true Jesus, the one who is the visible image of the invisible God, And come and know God himself, the person who is Jesus. There is freedom from the heavy burden and yoke of Mormonism and all the perfection that it demands. Come and find Jesus. Come and find rest. So thank you so much for joining us for part one. Part two will be coming out sometime in the near future. Yeah, thank you for being a part of it. So we'll include in the show notes some references, Mm -hmm. not just the references of where we got our information, but also some maybe featured reading if you want to continue to dive deeper into this. And then also just some helpful Mm -hmm. tidbits. Yep. Yeah. 
And as always, as people say on YouTube, like and subscribe. Like and subscribe. Thanks. <laughs>